Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. A scorching heat wave is now hitting California that's bringing with it triple-digit temperatures in some inland areas and warnings that residents may be asked to conserve electricity. This is not the state's first rodeo with intense heat waves, of course, but in June, we look at what's bringing the heat and how to protect vulnerable loved ones. Joining us is David Lawrence, a meteorologist and emergency response specialist with the National Weather Service. Dave Lawrence, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Also with us is Molly Peterson, editor for NPR's California Newsroom, who's also covered science with a focus on climate change for KQED News. Molly Peterson, glad to have you on as well. Great to be here. And Molly, where are you? What's the forecast high where you are? Uh, I'm in Los Angeles, and knowing what the forecast high is is something I psychologically don't like to do. <laughs> okay. But uh, but but right now it's uh, we're on our way to. I think that today it's going to be a little bit cooler here, maybe 87. Oh, that's good. Well, sorry to put you on the spot there. <laughs> but, uh, but I do understand that excessive heat warnings, Dave Lawrence, have been in effect uh, since yesterday in parts of Los Angeles and Ventura counties. And excessive heat warnings are expected to take effect in Northern California soon as well. Can you just describe how hot it will be and where? Where are the places that will be hardest hit? Well, this is going to be a fairly a widespread heat wave across much of the state of California. As uh, was mentioned by Molly, a little bit closer to the coast, you're the lucky one to be on the cooler side with winds coming off the water, so that keeps things cooler. But just inland, we're talking temperatures across much of south, uh, excuse me, Southern California, all the way up through the Central Valley, Sacramento and San Joaquin Valleys, well into the hundreds, 100 to 120 degrees. Mm-hmm. Hottest temperatures are most likely as we go into the day Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And then a bit of a relief as we get into early next week with temperatures only, and uh, we'll take that, but only in the 90s once again. So (laughs) definitely a a pretty prolonged stretch of significant heat here the next couple of days. Yes, I was really stunned to read that L.A. County, Santa Clarita, Woodland Hills, you're looking at, you know, 110 degrees on average, basically there. And then Coachella Valley and Borrego Springs looking maybe to get into as high as 120. That's pretty incredible. Um, And the other thing that uh, I've been talking about, especially in the introduction, is that this is all happening in mid-June, Dave Lawrence. How common is that? Well, it's pretty unusual from a climatology standpoint. Most of the significant heat waves in California have occurred uh, during the months of July and August, and sometime even uh, into early September, depending on the year. The one interesting thing, though, is if we look back at some of the hottest temperatures recorded at some of the largest cities, they've actually occurred in the month of June, but usually it's only like a day or two, maybe. In this case, we're talking about, again, several days, at least three, in some cases, six days of temperatures well above 100. So pretty unusual climatologically speaking. Yeah, so it's the combination of the high temperature, but how long these temperatures are lasting. That's a really good point. 
And Molly, while you are in Southern California right now, you have covered heat and fires all over the state and you know the Bay Area well, and you know that in the Bay Area, we tend not to be super acclimated to long stretches of heat, right? Yeah, it's absolutely true. Um, uh, for KQED, uh, we did some reporting where we measured heat inside people's homes because the way people experience heat in an urban area isn't just affected by the urban heat island effect, right? The mass of concrete and built structures that make everything a little bit warmer. It's also how heat is held inside buildings. And that affects you when you're trying to sleep, when you're trying to work. Um, and something that is true is that even though the Bay Area has got, you know, a little bit more of a, a, a temperate climate than the one that I'm experiencing or that uh, my friends in the eastern Coachella Valley are experiencing, uh, what the Bay Area does have is a, people aren't acclimated to this kind of heat when it comes their way. And um, over time, we've seen in the Bay Area rising temperatures at night, so basically less time to recover overnight when it's hot. All that means uh, a lot of cost to people uh, emotionally and to their health and also to their wallets when they have to try to cool their homes down. Yes, infrastructure wise, I think the Bay Area really does tend not to have a ton of homes with air conditioning. So it, it can be really difficult, as you say, when it doesn't cool down at night. Again, Molly Peterson is editor for NPR's California Newsroom. Dave Lawrence is meteorologist and emergency response specialist for the National Weather Service. And we're talking about this intense multi-day heat wave in California that's happening this week, which is predicted to shatter some records for mid-June. And you, our listeners, if you'd like to join the conversation with your questions or concerns about the heat wave or or want to share what you're doing to try to keep cool, you can give us a call. 866-733-6786 is the number. Again, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can email us at forum at kqed.org. So Dave Lawrence, uh, Dave Lawrence, can you just tell us what's causing this meteorologically? Like what is going on with our weather system right now? Well, certainly it's it's not unusual to be hot, as you've mentioned a couple of times, but this is a very stagnant weather pattern we're in. We have a very large area of high pressure that's pretty much dominating the entire western United States. And the flow around that high pressure system is bringing up a southerly winds, pumping in lots of warm air. And as I mentioned, the pattern is very stagnant. There's two storm systems. One is across the northeast and one's over Alaska that basically have locked in this weather pattern. So what happens is each day temperatures get just a little bit warmer because we're starting a little bit warmer at night. Uh, and we just kind of tend to build up temperatures uh, with each passing day such that by the time again we get into Thursday, Friday and Saturday, we're talking well into the triple digits for a good portion of the state. Uh, as I mentioned, the good news is this, this pattern will break down. The weather pattern will shift a little bit as we get into next week. So still what we'll call seasonably warm. It's definitely summer and it's supposed to be pretty warm this time of the year. But really, again, the next couple of days, it's stuck and not going much of anywhere. And I think the worry is, right, Dave Lawrence, it's already been so dry. Uh, we barely had a wet season, basically, this past winter. So having something this early is also very worrying. Molly Peterson, are you hearing anything in terms of worries about strain on our power grid and uh, trying to get people to conserve electricity? 
Well, right now, the independent systems operator, you know, saw that this was coming and made plans to restrict its own activities during these days. PG&E is, is not saying that it's planning to or needs to, um, you know, restrict anything power-wise. There is a possibility, though, that we're going to come close to, um, to what the state's power grid can handle. Overall, the state's power grid is better prepared this year than last year. Um, in theory, the state has... Um, between three to three, uh, 3,000 to 3,500 megawatts of additional electricity that are coming online this year that help kind of with these tough times. But at the same time, the strain on the grid that comes is right at that end of the day when people want to put uh, air conditionings on. And that's when we might get a flex alert called. And that's the risk. We're talking with Molly Peterson and Dave Lawrence about the heat wave, and you, our listeners, are with us as well. We'll have more after the break. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Cities across the state are expected to or already seeing triple-digit temperatures, and parts of Southern California could reach 120 degrees. We're talking about the heat wave and what it might signal for the state and what it, how it's related to a warming climate. We also will be talking tips about how to stay cool this week. Joining us is Dave Lawrence. Dave Lawrence is a meteorologist, emergency response specialist for the National Weather Service. Molly Peterson, editor for NPR's California Newsroom, who's also covered science with a focus on climate change for KQED News. You, our listeners, are with us. You can share your comments or thoughts at KQED Forum on Twitter or Facebook. You can also email us at forum at kqed.org. Dave Lawrence, one of the things that I've been worried about is how these conditions could elevate already what already feels like very high fire risk, fire weather conditions. Can you talk a little bit about how concerned you are about that? Well, it is a very large concern going forward in that we obviously had a very dry, quote unquote, wet season out there. In fact, if you look at the numbers, we're about a wet season behind schedule over the last two years in terms of average precipitation that we need to make up. Um, as we go forward, though, yes, these high temperatures and, and hot temperatures are expected to continue for at least the next couple of weeks with very little change in the weather pattern. And that obviously just very gradually dries out the what little bit of water was in the ground and in the plants and, and really gets those fuels, if you will, ready to burn quickly. The one piece of good news, at least with this current round of heat, is while temperatures will be hot, of course, it's very dry. So be very careful with any uh, anything that can be flammable. But we don't expect very strong winds with this particular setup, but winds yeah. overall the next couple of days are pretty light out there. So we won't have the winds to fuel any uh, really large fires here over the next couple of days. But going forward, as you mentioned, very big concerns with fire weather conditions heading into the rest of the summer and the fall months. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And actually, one of the things that I was struck by as people are monitoring a few of the fires that have broken out in the state in the last few days is that one of the big concerns, actually, Molly Peterson is firefighter heat 
illness. Can you talk a little bit about some of the biggest things to be on the lookout for with regard to being affected by the heat, heat exhaustion or heat stroke? Right. Heat exhaustion, um, you know, begins with um, any number of symptoms. And when you have all of them, that's not a good sign. You might have excessive sweating. You might be faint or dizzy. You might feel a little bit nauseous. You might get uh, muscle cramps. Um, your skin might feel pale and clammy and cool to the touch. I've actually had that happen to me. Um, you might feel nauseous. Um, you know, your um, your pulse might be uh, weak or rapid. And then in more serious cases, you develop a headache. You no longer kind of have the ability to sweat, to cool yourself off. Your body temperature itself gets very high. Um, your pulse strengthens and be becomes very fast because you're working so hard, again, to try to cool yourself off. And you may even lose consciousness. And we reported on people in working conditions. Um, we had people who experienced these symptoms. The best way to handle this is to get to a cooler place if you can, to keep drinking water if you're conscious, and to use cool compresses, particularly on pulse points. Um, I found that to be very helpful. Well, this listener writes, in other years, people would go to movie theaters and malls to escape the heat. Was not being able to do that last year a problem? I guess that might come back now that California has reopened. Dave Lawrence, just it sounds like also embedded in there is another tip to, to try to get to places that you know will likely be cooler or air conditioned. That is still the number one way to keep yourself cool, of course. Uh, if you don't have something available in terms of, of a cooler area to, to hang out in, as Molly mentioned, yeah, um, finding shade, um, getting yourself uh, plenty of fluids. Remember, don't drink the sugary stuff or the alcoholic stuff. You may enjoy it at the moment, but it's only going to further dehydrate you. So water is still the number one way to go uh, to cool yourself down if you can't get to a, to a place of shelter that's on the cooler side. But if you can... Air conditioning is the number one way to keep yourself cool here over the next couple of days. Those are that's really good advice, actually, reminding us to make sure we're not drinking alcohol and super sugary beverages. I'm a little worried about that because it is Father's Day this weekend, so I know a lot of people are <laughs> getting getting together and wanting to have fun. Uh, and alcohol could be involved in some of those gatherings. Um, other tips or resources for tips, Dave, Dave Lawrence. I'm assuming the National Weather Service has quite a few. We do. We maintain a safety page. If you just head to weather.gov, you can find a lot of safety tips on there for keeping yourself cool during heat waves. And again, this isn't anything uh, terribly unusual in terms of heat over a, a long haul. I mean, certainly we get long stretches, but I just really want to reinforce, again, the early nature of this and just how hot these temperatures are. You're talking even across the Sacramento and San Joaquin Valleys where, you know, average highs are mostly in the 80s to 90s we're talking you know a long stretch three or four days of around 110 each day so this is very very significant and something that we want uh, folks to take pretty seriously yes because every year you do hear about vulnerable people children um, pets actually even perishing in this kind of heat right we unfortunately do it uh, we've already had unfortunately it's really sad two uh, child fatalities this year due to being left in vehicles on hot days and i don't think most folks really realize the impact of of how, just how hot temperatures can get inside a locked vehicle. In many cases, if the outdoor temperature is maybe 100, inside that vehicle, it's between 125 to as much as 140 degrees. So it only takes a matter of moments in that type of an environment uh, to lose consciousness. And then unfortunately, we see these fatalities. So if I could encourage folks listening, just please uh, really pay attention. Don't leave your pets outside 
or if, if they have to be, definitely leave them plenty of water to drink and have some shelter. And always, always check that vehicle before you leave. It's, it's, we're very busy people, all of us are, and we do get in a hurry and these things happen, unfortunately. And our goal here really is just to prevent any additional fatalities related to a hot vehicles. Again, Dave Lawrence is Emergency Response Specialist and meteorolo Meteorologist for the National Weather Service. Molly Peterson is editor for NPR's California Newsroom. And you, our listeners, are sharing your thoughts and questions by getting in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum and emailing us at forum at kqed.org. And this listener writes, I live in San Francisco and mercifully am not feeling the effects of this heat wave right now, but I'm very concerned if these temperatures become more frequent in the city. Few people have air conditioning and so many old buildings retain heat and I can't imagine the cost of having to retrofit. You touched on a lot of this, Molly Peterson, and interestingly, this other listener writes, should we expect summers like this every year in the future? Do you have any thoughts for these listeners? Well, yeah, I mean, San Francisco, um, part of our reporting at KQED was that in 2017, um, extreme heat killed at least 14 people in the Bay Area, including six in San Francisco. And um, San Francisco Department of Public Health has had a pretty focused um, you know, effort on thinking about what extreme heat means now and into the future, thinking about it as a climate change problem. Um, Contra Costa is doing something similar. It's, it's uh, San Mateo County. Um, so, you know, the, one of the hard things is that scientifically, um, we aren't sure what the best thing to do is for people. Cooling centers don't always work, for example. Um, retrofits are complicated. There's no law in California that requires um, uh, anything in landlord-tenant law, that there's no broad right to cooling. So there's no standards for local response when temperatures spike. And in different parts of the Bay Area, you know, we react um, in different ways. So I, there is this kind of move towards thinking about it as a climate change problem, but we're not quite there yet. Well, Dave Peterson, what can you tell us about the role climate change is playing in these longer, earlier heat waves, hotter heat waves even? Well, we're certainly seeing temperatures over the last 50 to 100 years that have trended up notably. That's that's pretty much not in dispute. Um, the one thing I, I want to keep focus on is uh, any one particular weather event that happens, be it extreme or normal, it's really hard to tie to the longer term climate change, but it's the pattern, repeated pattern we're seeing of uh, repeated heat waves, more frequent heat waves and more intense heat waves over the last 20 to 40 years, especially. Um, and going forward, um, you know, really that trend is likely to continue for the foreseeable future. Um, part of that is, is climate change. Part of that is also, you know, more and more urban areas where many folks are living. As Molly mentioned, they retain, retain a lot of that heat after the sun goes down. So where we're seeing a lot of the largest change in temperatures it's not necessarily during the daytime hours, but it's at night when we used to get those reprieves with temperatures maybe cooling off into the very comfortable 50s and 60s. Now they're staying in the 70s to maybe around 80 degrees. So it's it's a pretty interesting and very complicated uh, thing to look at as we go forward. But definitely the long term trend is for continued uh, large periods of heat. Well, that's what this listener is concerned about. This listener writes, are heat waves becoming more frequent? Is there a trend? we should worry about or are these events essentially one-offs? You know, I'm struck by what you were saying earlier, Molly Peterson, about some of the infrastructure questions, the policy questions that we need to start really grappling with in terms of right to heat, for example. But can you tell us in the last two minutes that we have, if there are things that we aren't even thinking about right now that can happen 
uh, during extreme heat events or if we have more frequent extreme heat events? I mean, I think I remember that you gave a talk a few years ago where you were you were talking about the impact on like train tracks and, and commuter trains. Right. I wasn't talking about that, but I was interested by the fact that San Mateo County, which has this climate ready program, was talking about, look, commuter trains, um, because you've got the um, high heat on the train tracks and because, you know, I mean, this is not something that is currently happening. I want to stress that. <laughs> but there's but there is this very, you know, there we've built our infrastructure for certain temperatures and we've li we live in these structures that we live in. We live in homes and buildings, apartment buildings, thinking that certain temperatures are going to be around and they might not be it might change. And because that might change, our relationship to it has to start to evolve. And that's what these policymakers are beginning to talk about in California. And do we have a good sense of how many people really do succumb to heat-related illness or how heat affects the kinds of things that we're seeing, say, at hospitals or just across the state? We know that our count isn't very good. So all the numbers that we're able to measure, all those deaths that we were able to count at KQED, uh, that was just a beginning because uh, coroners tend to pronounce people as dead related to heat uh, heat related causes only when there's nothing else to say. And unfortunately, the people who are affected by heat a great deal often have underlying conditions, heart involvement, lung involvement, some kind of a respiratory ailment. So uh, it's it, our count of this is not very precise. And epidemiologists do great deals of work, particularly in California, to try to figure this out after the fact. Well, a lot to think about, but I hope you both stay cool. Molly Peterson, editor for NPR's California Newsroom, who's also covered science with a focus on climate change for KQED News. Dave Lawrence, a meteorologist and emergency response specialist for the National Weather Service. I want to thank Caroline Smith for producing this segment on our heat wave and Blanca Torres for producing our segment on the eviction moratorium and its impacts. And you, our listeners, for sharing your comments. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. And if you're just joining us, we're talking about the intense multi-day heat wave in California this week, which could shatter records for mid-June. We're talking with Dave Lawrence, a meteorologist and emergency response specialist for the National Weather Service. Molly Peterson, editor for NPR's California Newsroom, who's also covered science with a focus on climate change for KQED News. You, our listeners, are with us with your questions or comments on how you deal with this heat wave and how you are trying to keep cool. You can give us a call, 866 you can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. This listener writes, is it even possible to live in 120 degree heat? Which is a little bit related to what we were just talking about before the cutaway there, uh, Molly Peterson. But Dave Lawrence, I don't know if you have a reaction to that question. Um, is it even possible to live in 120 degree heat? Well, it is certainly possible, and uh, folks in southern Arizona and even very far southern portions of California in a few spots deal with those type of temperatures on a, I wouldn't call it routine, but fairly routine basis, I guess we'll say, at least uh, maybe not 120 every day, but well into the 100 teens on an average basis. So it is possible, but it just takes a lot of energy because you have to run those air conditioners constantly, and you really have to be cognizant. Everyone always says it's it's a dry heat, and we are lucky that we don't have a lot of humidity out here in the West, but you really have to pay attention and keep yourself hydrated because in those type of temperatures, you can become severely dehydrated in just a matter of minutes. So possible, but probably not a perfect world or not optimal, we'll say. Well, this listener actually wants to know how heat forms. Can you get into the science of it, Dave Lawrence? 
Well, sure. I'm a, I'm a science geek and I like to talk <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So in this case, so with high pressure in the atmosphere, we have air that sinks. Low pressure is the opposite. Air rises, cools and makes precipitation. So with this high pressure system, as that air is sinking in the atmosphere, it actually warms by compression. Uh, and then that warmth is translated down to the surface with time. It takes some time and and uh, for that process to happen. But in this case, as I mentioned, the weather pattern is really stagnant. So it has quite a bit of time to warm that lower the lower layers of the atmosphere where we live. And also in this case, as I mentioned, the flow of wind around that high pressure system is kind of from the south or southeast. So those very hot temperatures that are forming out across uh, the uh, southwest, say like southern Arizona, where it's just pure sand and it's hot and it just bakes every day, that air is actually being lifted or brought by the wind further north into California. So it's a setup we see a couple of times each year, but in this case, it's really magnified by the fact that we're just in such a severe drought across the state because uh, that uh, the, the, the dust and the dirt and everything on the ground that normally is kind of wet or has some moisture in it in a normal year, um, in this case, it acts almost more like concrete or pavement. It just soaks up the sun's radiation each day it radiates that heat right back out to the atmosphere where we all live down here at the surface of the earth. And it just makes what are already hot temperatures even more hot. Well, Molly, you've reported on how manual workers can especially be affected by heat. What have you learned in terms of how employers should keep workers safe? Yeah, I did a lot of reporting around uh, California's development of an indoor worker heat standard. California also has um, one of the first and more specific outdoor worker heat standards. And what I did was I measured uh, people working in the Central Valley, in the Bay Area, and in Los Angeles, and in the Inland Empire. Um, uh, I measured the temperatures that they experience on the job, uh, in particular in the Inland Empire so um, the areas around Riverside County, um, though I've also talked to people in Imperial County as well, um, people who work in uh, warehouses that uh, help with goods movement, the people who are moving the patio furniture and barbecues and stuff you order on Amazon. Uh, those warehouses can get very, very hot. And because the way the work is structured is can be uh, require bonuses for moving fast, uh, people say there's no hope of slowing down. There's obviously no health care. Um, so there can, so people get concerned about how to address their heat safely on the job. Um, so that is the, the problem with manual work. The problem with manual work is that it demands that people sort of make these choices for themselves. The state developed a standard that says that when it gets to a certain temperature inside, you have to be allowed to take a break. Uh, it's very early and we don't have a very clear picture yet about how well that's being enforced. And Molly, I couldn't help but hear you say earlier when you were describing heat exhaustion, this happened to me. Did you have a personal experience with this? Yeah, I mean, I spend, uh, I was thinking about what Dave has been talking about. Just even recently, I was reporting out on the Salton Sea on a day um, in uh, Riverside, Imperial County, when it was, uh, you know, 108 or 109 degrees out there. I couldn't help notice that the people who live there, you know, it takes up to two weeks to acclimate to heat. And even though I live here in Southern California, where it's a little warmer than um, where I grew up in Menlo Park, um, it, it it takes me time to acclimate to working in the field like that. And uh, wearing a hat and drinking water were essential to me surviving, but I didn't feel like I was at my best. And I was looking at people who live in this area who are more acclimated, um, even if they don't have air conditioners, um, 
you know, it's still something that people keep an eye out for each other. People watch out for each other when they're in that situation. Uh, and I know that uh, for me, I notice it when it's on my skin. I notice that my skin gets cool and clammy and that's when I start to really watch out. Well, such a good reminder for how easy it is to be affected. Molly Peterson of California Newsroom, the, the editor for NPR's California Newsroom. Dave Lawrence, meteorologist and emergency response specialist for the National Weather Service. Thanks, both of you. Everyone stay cool and safe. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, Tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts.